grace arrives to us when we're still distracted, when we're not prepared for it. And so we, we turn to the prophet Isaiah 700 years before the arrival of the promised Messiah. He's writing in the midst of the darkness of sin, and he offers words of hope, words of comfort. Listen to the Word of God, Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Let me pray that God would apply his word to us. Father in heaven, we are grateful for these words of comfort. Lord, I pray that you would, would quiet the, the stirrings of our souls with the words that come to us from your scriptures. Lord, that you would give us a calm and a peace that would be attributable only to you, not to the, the mere nostalgia of the season, but to the hope of Jesus. Lord, we ask that those who have joined us in this Advent season looking for answers would find them here in your word. Lord, that we who have, have heard of this story frequently, the story of the coming of the King, we would be reminded again of your great power and your love. Your mercy shown to us in Jesus, our Savior. So, Father in heaven, we pray in his name. Amen. Where do you turn when you're feeling down? What helps give you hope when you need comfort? Maybe it's something simple, a favorite movie, a warm blanket. Maybe it's turning on some nostalgic music. Maybe it's a phone call to mom to find words of comfort and hope. Or maybe you just need a late-night snack, and so you find it, hopefully, in the refrigerator. Or your credit card can provide you with that needed purchase to soothe your soul. Or maybe you can even continue down more sinister paths to find solutions to the sorrow that lurks. Because here in Isaiah 40, we have words of tender comfort. Like a mother soothing an infant child. When nothing else seems to work, 
until she steps into the room to bring words of comfort, the gentle whisper from God, comfort, comfort my people. A whisper that becomes, by the end of the passage, a shout that is meant to be announced to all people that God has arrived in great power. He is the shepherd who comforts us. And so as we, as we walk through this passage, I, I want us to, to consider in the first the way in which comfort is needed. Now we've jumped here at the beginning of Advent into the, the final section of Isaiah's great prophecy. We're here in chapter 40. This transition to these words of comfort. But, but remember the context in which Isaiah was writing, and you can find it by just turning back a chapter to chapter 39. Isaiah is writing after the, the Assyrian kingdom has decimated the towns of Israel. The northern kingdom of Israel has been destroyed. News report after news report of city after city being destroyed. The armies camped around Jerusalem. And yet God, through the prophet Isaiah, offers words of hope to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, that, Israel, that, that Judah will be spared, that Assyria will not destroy Hezekiah's kingdom. But, but, but look back at chapter 39 with me at verse 5, so that we see the context in which these words of of verse 40 of comfort come to us. Look at chapter 39, verse 5. Isaiah the prophet said to King Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Those are horrific words. Hezekiah, your kingdom will be destroyed. But look at verse 8. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied. For he thought, there will be peace and security in my time. Hezekiah earlier had received reprieve from the Lord that the kingdom would not be destroyed during his reign. But now the words of judgment come that your sons, your grandsons, who are meant to reign on this throne will have the kingdom taken from them. The, the armies of Babylon will come and destroy Israel. Your grandsons will be taken away. And Hezekiah thinks, well, given the news reports I'm seeing, I'm going to take this as good news good news that as city after city in Israel falls, as the capital falls to the Assyrian armies, I'm going to take this as good news. A word of judgment is misconstrued by King Hezekiah as good news. And yet are we tempted to find comfort in false answers, in temporary solutions, in the things that we think we can accumulate in this life, which will give us hope and comfort. Everything will be destroyed is the word of God. Because of the sin of God's people, God will send a foreign king to destroy their nation. The temple knocked down, the presence of God removed from the people, and Hezekiah is tempted to say, well, that's okay, because it'll happen later. 
See, this is the horror into which the comfort is needed. And you and I understand that. Because as we chase after the, the temporary joys, the temporary comforts of life, we realize we need something more. You're never satisfied by one visit to the refrigerator. You're never satisfied by the next purchase. If you're looking for comfort in this life, you will need to keep chasing after it. And yet, the words of chapter 40 then come with such surprise. Even the way, the way in which the, the, the Bible passage is laid out on your page might show you something of this. Most of the early chapters of the book have come as prophecies. There have been poetic words, but, but chapter 39, which was a story, and in my Bible goes from edge to edge of the column, now becomes a poem, a word of comfort from God himself. Into the horror of life comes the comfort that is needed. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And God himself is the one who then provides this comfort to us. Look at, look at verse 2, where he tells the prophet, speak tenderly to Jerusalem, speaking of the, his, his people living there in the city. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. God is the one who pays for our sins. That her sin has been paid for. It's put in the passive tense. She didn't pay for her sins. The people of Jerusalem have not paid for their sins, but they have been paid for. God provides the sacrifice. It's the language used earlier in the Bible, in the book of Leviticus, that when you bring a sacrifice, a substitute that dies in your place, blood shed in your place, then your sins have been paid for. Paid for not by your religious obedience in bringing the sacrifice, but by the death of the sacrifice in your place. God is the one who pays for the sins of his people. And then he pays them back. The, the, the payment is even greater than the sins. Notice the, the language there at the end of verse 2. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Your sin is great, but God's grace is greater still. This isn't the language of the, the grocer's scales in which you, you measure out your sin and you measure out God's grace and you just barely have enough. No, no matter how much your sins have been heaped upon the scales, this is the, this is the, the economy of grace. God's grace is even greater. Your sins have been paid for, completely paid for. There is more than enough grace to meet your need. And this is the good news of the gospel the surprise of grace, in the midst of the sin of God's people, in the midst of the faithlessness of the king of God's people, come the words of gospel hope. Comfort to God's people because he has paid the penalty for their sins. And Isaiah's prophecy at times will be explicit, pointing to the promised Messiah. Here in chapter 40, it's, it's words of hope, pointing us to the provision that God will make for our sins. But elsewhere in this prophecy, it will be clear that God will send one who will die in the place of God's people. The righteous Messiah. The suffering servant. See, in the midst of the faithlessness of Hezekiah is this call to faith now. 
we're told that these words are meant to be spoken to the people of God, announced so that people will hear good news. See, in the midst of the sorrow and sadness of life, you need to to recognize your own sin. Isaiah doesn't come with a message that says, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it. Hey, it's no big deal. No, he comes and says, your sin has been paid for. Your sin is great, but God's grace is double that amount. No matter what you put on the scales, when you come to God in forgiveness, his grace overwhelms. There is forgiveness here for you. See, there is comfort needed, there is comfort provided, and then the demand that this comfort be announced. Once the news is heard, this, this is the, I mean, the very first words are a, are a command, that, it is, that, that, that Isaiah is meant to speak these words of comfort as the prophet to the people of God. But then it becomes even more explicit that, that throughout this passage there is a voice that we hear. In verse 3, a voice. In verse 6, another voice. But it's, it's the voice of one calling. A voice announcing the arrival of God's comfort. And these words here are words that are familiar to you. Even if you didn't recognize that they came from Isaiah's prophecy. If you've heard the story of Jesus and you have heard these words. A voice of one calling. In the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. That's the way Mark's gospel begins. With an announcement that that the, the one who is coming is here. The voice is now being heard. Matthew and Luke make it clear as well. In Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 3, he describes the, the birth of Jesus. Then he, then he announces that John the baptizer, the son of Zechariah the priest, is in the desert regions. He went through, throughout the country, all around the Jordan River, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then Luke repeats what the other Gospels have already told us, that this is a fulfillment of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight the paths for him. The valleys raised, the mountains knocked it down so that the king may come. The red carpet rolled out for the Messiah's arrival. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways made smooth. And Luke says this, emphasizing the prophecy of Isaiah, that all mankind will see God's salvation. So the arrival of the king, the arrival of God's comfort is good news for everyone. Not merely to people who live in Jerusalem, not merely to people who are the physical descendants of Abraham, not merely those who lived under the reign of Hezekiah. These are this is good news for all mankind. For all of humanity, that's the voice that we are meant to hear. The voice that cries out, there is good news. And you see, church, the Christmas season is a great opportunity for us to announce good news. You will hear the name of Jesus Christ in a shopping mall. You will hear it echoing on the radio. It will be all around you, but, but will people really hear it? See, the great privilege that you and I have during this Christmas season 
is that, that even the nostalgia of the season creates an open door for us to bring good tidings. That's the mission of the church, to announce this good news to whom? To all mankind, to all of humanity. We are meant to be those who, who verses 9 and 10 tell us, bring good news to Zion, lift, go up on the mountain to, to lift your voice, verse 9, with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the sorrow, in the midst of the sadness that, to announce that God, your King, is here. Because after the long night of sin and suffering, God himself has arrived. The, the promises of Advent are the promises that God will be with us. The reminder in our reading this morning that these are promises not only pointing us backward to the work of Jesus in Bethlehem, but forward to the return of Jesus, where we still long for this King to come. As a church in the midst of the darkness of this world, in hope that Jesus will arrive. Here is your God. He has come in great power. Light is shining in the darkness. There is hope for us. See, this comfort is needed. This comfort has been provided. This comfort must be announced, and this comfort is assured. It is guaranteed to us. Look back at verses 6 through 8. Again, a familiar passage, this comparison between the, the temporary nature of, of grass and the flowers of the field and the certainty and eternity of God's Word. Grass withers, the flowers fall. But the Word of our God stands forever. So we have assurance that this is true because God has told us. Now, we are tempted, perhaps at Christmas more than any other season, to slide these stories into the categories of fairy tales, to slide Jesus on the shelf next to the other stories we've made up around this season. Culturally, we're, we're content to let little cartoon characters prance across our screens, even reading at times from the, the Gospels, as long as we leave them all in the same category. Maybe that's how you've wandered in today. You, you think you, you're, you're tempted to place the, these words at the same level of the, the fairy tales which surround this season. You might even say that, that this has inspirational power. You're here to hear words of comfort. This is a good encouragement, you might think, to inspire us to change the way we live. But, but we're tempted to say we can't trust the Bible. We can't trust God's Word. But whom do you trust? Where do you turn for comfort? How do you find any truth? Do you turn to the words of men and women whose lives are like grass? Grass that, yes, grows for a season, but then withers. It's cut down to be thrown into the fire, or it's left in the field, and in the winter is gone. Lives that last but a breath. See, even the most brilliant among us are limited and finite. Their words disappear, 
and yet the word of our God stands forever. See, will you today put your trust in the sure and certain word of God? The stories surrounding Christmas, the arrival of a king in Bethlehem, his death on the cross, these are not inspirational stories, merely inspirational stories. These are the true stories of history, the arrival of God himself, the one who comes, verse 10, with great power. But notice in verse 11 then that this image of power in verse 10 becomes an image of comfort in verse 11. Our comfort is assured because Jesus himself is our shepherd. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. The image of care and concern. Jesus who has come to bring comfort to us. It's not an image of, of a parent dragging a, a screaming child out of the grocery store. No, when, when he leads them, he leads them gently caring for them. When they need to be carried, he gathers the lambs in his arms and holds them close to his heart. Again, it's that image of, of God bringing great comfort, personal comfort to you. And yet when Jesus declares that he is the good shepherd, he says, I have come to lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is the one who, who protects his flock, who cares for his flock, who shepherds the flock, and who gives his life in our place. See, these are the words of gospel comfort for us today. Into the darkness, light has come. Into the chaos, hope is here. God is with us. Jesus has come. Emmanuel is here. Early on Christmas morning in 1916, a group of soldiers gathered in a barn in France to worship. Chaplain Leighton Green had left his idyllic, quiet country parish for the trenches of World War I. He went to be among the soldiers. On Easter Sunday the following year, he suffered injuries in the Battle of, of Arras. He said when, when the men went over the top, this is the way his biographer describes it, when the men went over the top, Chaplain Green wasn't far behind with a first aid box. And then it would be his duty to bury the men. Some days he'd perform 20 or 30 or 40 funerals in a row. He said he volunteered to serve, even though he was exempt by age and position. He volunteered to serve because he felt it his duty to bring Christian comfort to the troops. To go among the men in the trenches. See, previous chaplains in previous wars had stayed behind the lines in comfort. The chaplains of, of the other armies fighting in the war did not go among the men in the trenches. But he brought the hope of the gospel to the men in the worst of conditions. Chaplain Green was awarded two military crosses for acts of exemplary gallantry by the queen. 
the second of which he earned when he stayed with a badly wounded soldier, lying in an open field under constant shell fire. To bring words of gospel comfort. Isaiah brought words of gospel hope to a people wounded by sin. Jesus brings words of true and lasting hope to us today. He is Emmanuel, God who died in our place, God who speaks comfort to us. So when you seek comfort in the things of this world, it will not last. You need a comfort that pulls you out of the trenches. You need a comfort that lasts beyond your burial place. You need words of comfort that come from the sovereign Lord, the one with great power, the one with a mighty arm who will wrap you up in his own arms, the Savior who gave his life for us. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you for the hope of your word, a hope which points us away from the things of this world to the eternal promises in the gospel. Father in heaven, I ask that, that your word would give us true and lasting comfort, that we would respond to the gospel with faith. Father, we ask for your comfort, for your goodness, and for your mercy. And so we come praying in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.